Dateline, 1st of July, 2013, and it's a new financial year for us. Woohoo! Yay, and welcome, folks, to the Australia Desk for episode 255 on what uh, I guess uh, would we would have to say, Grant, has been a tumultuous week here in politics in Australia. Oh, definitely, mate, definitely. I can only hope it's all upwards from here. No, okay, who am I kidding? Of course, it's just going to be more of the same Australian insanity politics. It's Yeah, it won't change a thing, will it? Yes, it won't change a thing. Well, Australia now has a new, well, an old, well, a recycled Prime Minister as uh, Julia Gillard is no longer with us, but uh, that doesn't interest us so much in an aviation sense. What does interest us, of course, is that the Minister for Transport and Infrastructure, Anthony Albanese, has now uh, taken on, and we often call him the Minister for Everything, well now he's also the Deputy Prime Minister, he's also the Minister for Broadband Communications and the Digital Economy and Leader of the House, so in a way that's, uh, well, I mean, good on him for that, Grant, but uh, you know, we really want a Transport Minister who's dedicated to that role solely, I would have thought, so uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that's like, going to go. <laughs> this guy has more things on his plate than I do, and in fact more things than even my crazy boss in my day job has on his plate so that's pretty scary well i tell you what mate if i was a member of the royal australian air force's vip uh, unit there i'm not sure which squadron that is i'd be pretty happy because everybody knows how much kevin rudd loves to fly around the world yeah true and also how much he loves to uh the care and treatment of the people on board <laughs> that's exactly right okay enough about politics and uh, speaking of flying <laughs> around the world grant uh, let's talk about some young people that have been doing that lately now in the news uh recently we uh, we read about uh, an american lad by the name of jack wigand i'm sorry jack if i said that wrong, who uh, recently set the record, uh, in fact, only in the last week or so, I think he got back, for being the youngest person to fly solo around the world. And uh, well done to Jack there, and he's 20 years old, but uh, hopefully, and uh, with all due respect to him, he won't hold that record for too long, because a young Australian lad by the name of Ryan Campbell set out yesterday from Wollongong on the east coast of Australia, just south of Sydney, to do exactly the same, and Ryan is 19 years old. That's right, mate. He's uh, he's going to be the youngest if he can uh, complete his goal of getting around the world in a very sexy Cirrus SR-22 aircraft. And of interest is that uh, just before his departure, he was visited by Dick Smith, who we've had on the show a couple of times, a uh, solo around the world aviator in his own right, who handed him a piece of fabric from Charles Kingsford Smith's Southern Cross aircraft, a very famous aircraft that made the first flight from the USA to Australia. Now, we caught up with Ryan uh, back at Avalon a few months ago, and at that time, he was flying a Cessna 182, and uh, he was doing a lot of work to get that aircraft uh, prepared, getting ready to put the ferry tanks in and uh, all the uh, other preparations that uh, you need to do to make these aircraft uh, capable of crossing such vast overwater distances. Unfortunately, uh, that arrangement fell through, and Ryan was actually no longer able to use the Cessna 182, but Grant, uh, as you mentioned, uh, he's doing it in style now. He's uh, flying in in an SR-22, a beautiful aircraft, and I spoke to Ryan just a couple of days before he departed and uh, we started off by talking about that aircraft. Yes, I had a bit of an upgrade there. It's a 2009 SR-22 G3. So it's a very nice aeroplane. It's got Garmin perspective in it and uh, I'm hooked now after flying it. Did it take you, had you had much exposure to that sort of uh, Garmin technology uh, You know, before you had exposure to this aircraft? No, I did a little bit in a Cirrus for my instrument rating with a Aberdyne screen, but it also was running a six-pack. So to get into the Garmin was very new. Uh, I had a little bit of G1000 time in a Mooney button thing, uh, nothing like this, but I was surprised how fast uh, that I picked it up, really. What a beautiful aircraft. They are amazing, and I'd only actually ever flown the SR-20, but to get in the 22, it did everything the same, but uh, the performance is mind-blowing. Now, I wanted to talk about that. Um, how far into your planning were you with the 182, and how much sort of changes did you have to make? I guess, uh, you know, the fuel can consumption, the airspeeds, all that sort of stuff would be uh, quite different for the Cirrus. It was very different. I'd actually planned the entire flight. I'd, you know, ready to put the tanking in the 182 and everything. We were really quite a way down that road. Uh, But 
then as you said, we had a, a bit of a change and, and ended up with the Cirrus. So the fuel burn remained pretty uh, pretty similar, but even though the costs were higher with the Cirrus and actually evened out because the aircraft was so much faster, uh, we, we uh, managed to get around the world uh, in our planning stage a lot quicker. No worries, and I should mention to our listeners, if they want to track you, uh, it's uh, VH Oscar Lima Sierra. It is, yes. Now you've got all the sponsors, you've got the aircraft ready. Did you uh, have much trouble getting uh, extra tanks put in that plane? No, we didn't have too much of an issue. We did it over the weekend, got the tank in and, and we've done all our test flights and uh, they did a phenomenal job. It's quite a permanent system in comparison to what a normal ferry flight would use and uh, it's a big 160-gallon bladder in the back. Uh, it's all strapped down and the pump system runs down in the front right footwell. Uh, there's a lot of redundancy there. It's a very safe and simple system and I think that's exactly what you want uh, for a flight like this. Now, I'm not familiar with these systems, Ryan. Does that actually pump fuel direct into the engine or is it pumping it into the tanks so you can pump it from there? Now, the best thing about this system over what we're looking at with the 182 is this actually pumps into the right wing and so basically you, you take off and climb on your left. When you're in cruise, you switch over to your right tank and you sit there uh, and, and every certain amount of time you, you turn your pumps on, it pumps from the 160-gallon bladder out the floor and then under about a three-foot piece of hose that runs out into the main fuel drain and then it runs up and it fills the tank up. So it's, I can tell you it's a bit different to sit there and watch your fuel needle go up. <laughs> yeah, my passion is in aviation. We need to get more young kids into flying. It's a pretty poor industry for that type of thing and, and you know, I'm pretty forward about it. Um, the way I learned to fly was uh, pretty lucky. You know, to with a family in aviation, I still had to learn that you can fly solo on your 15th birthday through a newspaper article. So there's just a lack of education. I think, you know, there's a lot of people out there who could afford, you know, money. You can always find a way to get money, you know, if you get a job and, and save. So I think if we find a way to educate young kids about aviation and how accessible it is and at what ages and, and, and what the methods are, I think we'll see a lot more young kids jump into flying, hopefully. And he is a very impressive young man. Ryan Campbell and uh, as we record this uh, he is uh, on his way he uh, did the first leg from Wollongong across to Norfolk Island he's heading up then to American Samoa across to Hawaii and then over to the uh, to the US uh, west coast and he'll be doing several stops in the United States for all our American listeners and uh, if you're going to Air Venture this year up at Oshkosh uh, Ryan will be there and there may even be a chance that his aircraft will be in the centre square the uh, Aeroshell Square or whatever they're calling it this year <laughs> so uh, make sure that if you, uh, you are getting out to Air Venture and I'm looking at you Rob Mark uh, make sure that you uh, get out there and uh, you know support Ryan and uh, he's doing a fantastic job not only for uh, trying to set the world record here but uh, as you heard him talk about there being a, a youth ambassador and uh, doing his bit to encourage more young people to look at aviation which Grant is uh, very very important. That's definitely the case mate very important to look at uh, aviation from a young age get into it early get on with it and uh, really have a blast it it can change your life in some dramatic and wonderful ways. Of course, aviation can also change your life in other not-so-wonderful ways, as the passengers of QF32 discovered back in 2010, as their A380's number two engine blew up while they were climbing over Batam Island of Indonesia after launching out of Singapore not long earlier. Now, you've already heard the uh, guys talk about this earlier in the show. As reported by the ATSB's final incident report, the cause of the, of the incident was an incorrectly manufactured component in the number two engine. The wall of an oil feed pipe was not thick enough and a fatigue crack ruptured oil into the intermediate pressure section of the engine, causing a massive explosion when that caught on fire. And in fact, one of the turbine discs flew out and punctured through the engine, through the wing, through fuel tanks, severed wiring and caused a massive amount of damage. Now, the key finding from the uh, final report is that it was a manufacturing defect at Rolls-Royce and that their safety and quality standards 
to quote the reports, fell short of what they should have been. And Rolls-Royce has admitted that this was the case. Not only have they admitted it, Grant, they've actually uh, given some serious compensation to Qantas, which uh, I'm sure would have gone a long way towards the cost of repairing that aircraft. It was out of action for over uh, over a year. Yes, it was uh, 104 million US dollars of compensation. And Qantas had approached Rolls-Royce and said, hey, pay up. And after uh, some contemplation, Rolls-Royce agreed and did pay up. And of course, a major part of that payment meant that it did didn't go to court, so a lot of the findings didn't have to come to the public eye that such a uh, such an inquiry and investigation would have brought forth. It's also interesting to note that Rolls Royce were operating a uh, engine care facility in Singapore, where uh, Qantas and a number of other airlines actually subscribe to the program, where an engine is supplied on an aircraft. You don't have to know all of its history, you don't have to manage it or look after it. You, it's almost like a pay by the hour system where you pay for all your maintenance and so on. Rolls-Royce were apparently aware of this problem that was in the Trent 900 engines and were going through the engines over time, replacing the defective components. They hadn't told any of the airlines about this. They were just replacing the components so they were on spec and kind of hoping they'd get through it all before anything went wrong. Unfortunately for them, they didn't. Fortunately for them, however, it happened on a Qantas aircraft with some very well-trained pilots on board who were able to deal with the situation and get everyone down alive. Not saying another airline wouldn't have had the same ability, but just saying it was very lucky that uh, on this particular flight there were quite a number of pilots on board who were able to help share the load and get the aircraft back on the ground. Not only that it made the uh, the captain of that flight, Captain uh, Richard DeCrepney, a superstar. In fact as far as I know, he's the only Qantas pilot at the moment who uh, is allowed to talk to the media. In fact he's got his own media manager which is <laughs> distinct from any other Qantas pilot who uh, can't even identify which airline they fly for if they talk to people <laughs> like us. Yes and Richard also has a book out called QF32. It's a very interesting read and I I highly recommend it to all of you. Well, that's everything we have for you on this week's Australia Desk. We now return you to Rob Mark, David Vanderhoof, and that guy with the big head. Did you see that photo of Max at the uh, Udvahazi Museum, Grant? Who took Max's head off and put all that hair on it? I'm not sure, man, but I'm just impressed that someone at Max's age is able to grow his hair that well. If I tried that, you'd see large areas of empty, I tell you. Oh, dear. Well, on that cheery note, we'll talk to you again next week. Until then, I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm the bald for a reason, Grant McCarran. <laughs>